Welcome to Talking Heads, everyone, episode 144, your once-week live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. I'm Rhett. Welcome to the show, wherever you're watching from or listening from on this Wednesday night, and thank you so much for joining us. If you've never seen the show before, this is our once-weekly live show. We talk beer, we talk tech, we do drink beer on the show. However, we do keep the content both family-friendly in language and content. Uh, if you're drinking along with us in chat, either alcoholic or not, uh, let us know in the chat. and We'll give some early show shout-outs. All Super Chats are read on the air as long as they are appropriate. Uh, and thanks for watching. Uh, oh, and if you didn't know, uh, you can also catch us tomorrow on anchor.fm or wherever your podcasts are found. Uh, we've been doing that for like a month and a half now. Huge shout out to Funky Monk, uh, over on the Patreon who, uh, helped get that up and rolling for us. But, uh, yeah, so if the late show is a little bit too late for you, uh, you have an audio only option that you can check out, uh, usually the day after we post here. So, welcome everyone. Rhett, how's it going? Going pretty good. Doesn't get much better than this in 2020. Pretty much. Yeah, this is kind of business as usual anymore. <laughs> uh, remember when drinking at home used to be a sign of depression? And <laughs> uh, You mean it's not anymore? <laughs> right. No, that, no, this is socially acceptable now. <laughs> now, now it's just depressing. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I miss you guys. I really do. Absolutely. Uh, big, big spoon jumping in with a uh, $2 donation broadcast reminder hours ahead of time. You're late. Well, yeah, I've been doing them earlier, so we get a bigger crowd here. That's how that works. <laughs> Advertisement. Uh, and Josh says, uh, $1.99, Big Big Spoon is here. Yes, yes, he is. I did indeed see that. Hello to both of you. Uh, let's see, Rhett, I see you got a glass of wine going on tonight. Yeah, drinking a spicy Malbec all the way from uh, the shores of Argentina. Um, you know, likely grown by... Uh, German uh, farmers who escaped uh, prosecution after World War II and fled to Argentina with their with their Malbec grapes. Little known fact. All right. Very cool. Um, so I got tired of seeing these in my fridge completely unopened because I bought these all the way back in March uh, as soon as I heard that they were being released. Um, and this was a uh, uh, beverage that has been pioneered by Alicia or Aisha Tyler, excuse me, not Alicia Tyler, Tyler, um, Aisha Tyler, uh, host of Whose Line Is It Anyway? and Lana on Archer, and you know her from hundreds of other things. Uh, but uh, she has a company called Courage and Stone, and she makes and bottles her own uh, craft cocktails. And she started with both an old fashioned and a Manhattan. And That's I right. picked both of them up. Uh, Mainly to try them, but also because uh, uh, something like 40% of proceeds when we bought it, when I bought this back in March, went to helping out-of-work bartenders and service industry people right. uh, because of the, the impacts of shutting down businesses. Um, and my whole goal of buying this was to try it with you guys. And then literally the day they arrived, we got shut down and I stopped doing the show in person. And so <laughs> these have been just like taunting me in my fridge since then. And uh, I was looking through my fridge and I'm going... Nothing really sounds good as far as like beer goes. Like I've got a couple couple ones I kind of want to open, but they didn't quite do it for me today. So decided we'd go cocktails tonight and give these a, a try. And 
You know, how uh, is how is the dynamic of like the after work beer like now that you don't really like leave home? You know, um, you know what I'm talking interesting. about. It's, yeah. it's in- yes, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, it's interesting because um, I, I've I've talked about this before. I usually have a drink with dinner, um, and that's just kind of my you know day is over. I'm relaxing with my family. We usually play a board game over dinner, and and I'll usually have either a beer or an old fashioned or something like that uh, with me, and and that's my drink for the day. Um, there have been a Sometimes I don't drink at all during the day, um, like at all, even at dinner. And then sometimes I might have one at lunch too. And that's been kind of the the new norm is I'll, I might have one at lunch if I feel I would like to have one at lunch now. <laughs> so <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, first off, uh, reviewing this, the pull tab on this broke on me. So it took me like a minute and a half to open. Literally, I'm like trying to explain like what this is and try to like discreetly open it on camera. <laughs> and the thing is just like falling apart or not not opening properly on me. So uh, we'll give the, uh, the container uh, a three out of 10. Although that cork is magnificent. It's a glass cork with a, with a rubber stopper on it. So. Looks pretty even from over here. Ooh. And that's an old fashioned. Oh, yes. This is an old fashioned. It um, looks delicious. It smells delicious. Um, <laughs> much, much more botanical. A uh, lot more fruity. Uh, so I've, I've definitely got some orange and a lot of cherry right on the nose. You definitely smell uh, smell some whiskey though. Um, so this is not like a inspired by an old fashioned. This is eighty proof. This is straight up liquor and bitters and a little bit of sugar. And that's it. <laughs> so the way an old fashioned should be made. So we're going to give this a shot here. Just a little pour about like that on my magnificent cubed ice, which I don't know if you guys okay, can see. Okay, I was going to say, do you have ice, that ice in there? Oh, yeah. That ice been, is uh, so clear. Isn't that beautiful? I've, Dude, I've been working on that. in the glass, that, yeah. that looks nice. No, I, I've been working on that ice for quite a while. Uh, Big Big Spoon wants to know ASL Josh <laughs> 109 male and next door <laughs> Sweet come over let's party you bring the lemons <laughs> What in the world is going on Over there uh, This smells like an old fashioned I would make Maybe not the bitters that I would choose But Oh, that is wonderful. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dang, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, yeah, that's just straight up good. Um, definitely a lot more, I want to say botanical, but much more fruity yeah. um, than I typically make mine. I, I don't muddle fruit in mine. Sometimes I'll add like a Luxardo cherry or something like that. But usually mine is whiskey, bitters, and sugar. Um, this definitely has a lot of different fruit essences in there. Um, it almost smells like cardamom. There, There's like uh, some of the cinnamon that you usually get with like cardamom bitters going on in there. Right. More so than the Angostura. Um, but that's not quite it either. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's delicious. Uh, and it's definitely 80 proof. It is every bit of that. 
since we're not counting dilution here, since I really didn't stir it, um, this is actually stronger than even my normal old fashions, which I usually make with a 95 proof rye. Uh, so it, it's got a little bite to it when you don't mix it, but that's delicious. All right. Almost smells like an orange creamsicle. Oh, dang. Like straight up. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Novella Hub drinking a 14 Lakes Craft Brewing Manhattan Mango Rush, 6.2%. Uh, Tikaz drinking a Founders All Day IPA, excellent session IPA. Uh, Digital, Digit Eagle. IT 4.0. First time I actually see you live. Gra uh, greets from Germany. Hello. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Um, let's see. As Argentinian, I feel I feel often. Never mind. Probably true. Um, let's see. Don't see too many else up in there. But yeah, how's your wine over there? It's really good. Yeah, Malbecs are legit. Um, they tend to be, uh, for, you know, for anyone interested, uh, they tend to be on the drier side of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I like them because they really accentuate the more earthy notes, a little bit spicier. Um, to me, they kind of taste like a red wine that you'd find at like a cigar lounge or something, you know? Nice. Uh, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to like go the the wrong route and be like this is a man's wine but this is just this is just what i like because sometimes you get them and they got like a real good kind of zippy spike to it yeah. um you know i've but um yeah this is great i mean it's it's a it's pretty good blend got a little bit of a little bit of a spice to it but it's it's very earthy which is what i really like in a red very nice very nice all right uh I think that does it for the introductions. Let's go ahead and get into our first story, um, which is still very much developing. Yeah. Uh, so early this morning, uh, if you tried to log into Canon's website, you couldn't. You couldn't get on their homepage. In fact, uh, over a dozen of Canon sites are down right now because they've reportedly been hit with ransomware and uh, a pretty vicious one at that. Uh, and reportedly have up to 10 terabytes of data that has been stolen. Uh, like I said, this is still very much developing, but uh, it was reported early this morning that Canon websites went down. Uh, you were greeted with a 500 internal server error, which usually happens when uh, a file can be found but not read, or you don't have permissions, uh, either a 500 or a 503. <laughs> uh, in this case, it's probably because the file was encrypted. Um, Bleeping Computer originally broke this story and I was trying to show their news article on it, but for some reason they've pulled their news article. Although Canon's website is still down and this is still being reported as, as legit. Um, you, you can see on the page right here, uh, Bleeping Computer did obtain a uh, partial copy of the ransomware note that was dropped. Um, and it's being claimed by Maze or Maze or whoever, however you want to pronounce that. I'm just going to say Maze. Um, by the Maze ransomware group. Uh, and they are demanding a payment of an unknown amount. And they are uh, uh, reportedly stole up to 10 terabytes of data. And the way Maze usually works is they give you a deadline to pay by 
or they will leak the data on their website. Um, and I love how like friendly and cordial note is. Right. What happened? We hacked your network and now all files and everything else are safely encrypted with reliable algorithms. You can't access the files right now, but do not worry. You can get it back. <laughs> it's just a great, like, I don't know. I was reading that while you're talking. Yeah. And they, it's very quaint. <laughs> and they're also, it's also like educational, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like uh, getting an email to IT. It's like, all right, <laughs> if you don't, if you want to see what's going to happen, if you don't listen to us, go ahead and Google Southwire Maze Ransomware, MD Lab Maze Ransomware, City of Pensacola Maze Ransomware. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're just, <laughs> I don't know why. It's, it just yeah. brings back the, the, the sort of uh, images of like gentlemen thieves and things. You uh, may have heard from us from other breaches such as. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's exactly the vibe that that message gives out. Um, someone uh, points out, well, if they have copious backups, they would be okay. No, the problem with this back with this particular ransomware is they stole the data on top of encrypting the data. So even if Canon has backups and they flip a switch and tomorrow their websites are up and running, unless they want that data to leak, uh, they still need to pay the ransom. And so that's what makes this one a little bit nefarious and a little bit more difficult to deal with. <laughs> Five seconds. Producers in the audio. Uh, <laughs> you want to listen? You want to say hi? Hi. Your hair looks so nice. <laughs> All right, we needed some bedtime hugs. All right, give me a hug. Yeah. All right, good night. <laughs> it's okay, I'll get it. <laughs> Alright, say goodnight everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs> and of course I dropped and tangled my headphones. Yeah, good one. There we go. You know, is it is it just me? Alright. Oh, stop back. Hey, is it just me? Back. Is it just me or has the state of the world just lent itself to ransomware attack. I it really like has. Um, this it's is... also exposed um, certain companies' weaknesses when it comes to uh, provisioning off different security aspects of, uh, of their company, of tiering their permissions, of nested permissions as you're supposed to roll them out. Um, you only have access to those things that you need access to. Um, and what we're seeing recently with uh, the attack on Garmin and now with Canon is uh, either someone got in and got access to credentials that allowed them to encrypt the entirety of their website, uh, as well as potential internal documents and block logins and authentications, which means they had server access of some kind and whatnot, uh, or they have just poor practices. Um, so from a security standpoint, uh, ransomware is only as effective as the lacks in security or as the um, top-level credentials that you're able to obtain. Um, so I've been the victim of ransomware a couple of times, and one time it was pretty bad because they got uh, fairly high up credentials within our organization. Um, however, it still only affected that wing of the company um, because that particular executive didn't need access to another executive's files. So <laughs> they didn't have them. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting when these kind of things hit and when they take down 
literally the entirety of a company. Um, yeah. Attacks happen, but how bad the attacks are really puts into question what were your internal practices that led to this. So, yeah, what are your backed up backup practices? Why aren't you back up yet? I mean, I, I know I'm talking on a global scale, and there's there's a lot of factors that go into remediation and and you know diagnoses and and, and fixing the problem. Well, but... in this instance, in this instance, with the threat of the leak, I mean, is there only option to pay the ransom? Um, if they don't want the files to leak, the only <laughs> option is to pay the ransom. And yeah. so that, like I said, that that adds a little wrinkle to this that even if they had backups and even if they hadn't been hit hard, they still have to pay the ransom if they don't want whatever they got access to to leak. Now, right. we don't know how much access they got, what information they got, um, if they got credit card information off the website, if that was all processed internally, if right. credit cards are encrypted, if they got customer information, if that data is yeah. encrypted, is it, you know? Oof. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, you and John talked about it, but there's a, there. I think you guys talked about it because I think I put it in the notes, maybe. But uh, about uh, a city around here getting hit with ransomware. You yeah, that? Uh, Kaiser, Oregon, uh, yeah, got yeah. hit with ransomware within the last six months. I want to say, and yeah, they ended up like, having to pay a fairly hefty ransom. It was fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is like kind of tame, I guess. But like the fact that it's coming out of the city budget, it's like, come on. Right. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Taxpayers paid a ransom because your backup policies were that poor. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, hopefully it gets sorted out. And, uh, you know, they just learn their make. I'm sure somebody got fired over this. Uh, who knows? If it was or the right we just spent $50,000 making sure they never make that mistake again. <laughs> that, that's usually my my go-to uh for you know helping employ employees learn from their mistakes everyone makes mistakes everyone takes a service down every once in a while everyone pulls the wrong hard drive sled out of the wrong server and now instead of rebuilding one raid array you're resilvering two raid arrays um <laughs> what i've never done that one of my one of my favorite uh spins on a common saying you know because nasa's that has it over their uh, command center uh, entryway is um, failure is not an option, but a, but a fun spin on it is failure is not an option. It's mandatory. Right. So make sure you get all the proper failure done in the proper time. That way, when it comes time to not failing, you got all the failure out of the way, you've learned from the mistakes, and now you're good to go. <laughs> right. That's why practice is important. Practice, 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 because you make all your mistakes in practice, you, you're still not going to be perfect during a game, no. but you're less likely to make mistakes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, teaching moment for those who have ever had employees. Um, just because someone screws up doesn't mean you terminate them because the next person is going to screw up in the same exact way. However, the person you retain and you help learn from that situation, they might improve. <laughs> and they might stop kind of a shocker people from some, making that but... Yeah, exactly. They can help others from not making that same mistake too. So it's like a, you know, positive. Yep. Uh, yeah, Skull says, uh, or go with the Mythbusters route and say failure is always an option. However, you also have to remember the second part of that phrase is, uh, oh gosh, I just had it in my head and I lost it. Um, 
Failure is always an option, and oh, and every result is a result. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good. No matter one. what you thought the outcome might be, whatever the outcome is, is a result. So, uh, Josh says to family, missing my daughter right now. Well, shout out to you and your daughter, man. Uh, Tikaz, two dollars. Uh, can they can they leak even after the ransom is paid? They certainly could, because <laughs> they have the data. Um, so oftentimes they don't because they want that as incentive for people to pay them. Um, if they are making a name for themselves and obviously they're advertising, you might have heard heard of us from some such leaks as the city of Pensacola, uh, Maze Ransomware. Um, uh, their incentive to, or they're providing incentive to these organizations to pay them by saying, look, the city of Pensacola paid us and we didn't leak their data. If you pay us, we won't leak your data. So now, is there any legal recourse? Unless you find them, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, for those interested, uh, this is all you see when you go to the Canon website right now, is we're sorry, the site is temporarily undergoing maintenance and could not complete your request. Please check back soon. Uh, <laughs> maintenance. <laughs> Did anyone check his Garmin back up from last week? <laughs> Did they ever get their files back? Uh, let's see, Garmin.com. Hey, they are. Look at that. Garmin is back alive. Thanks, Garmin. All right. So there's that. Uh, anyway, moving right along. Um, this is a big one. Yeah, this is a big one. Uh, 608 thousand Honda vehicles, minivans, and SUVs uh, have been recalled over faulty software. Uh, we all knew that this day was probably going to come eventually. Uh, we figured it might be an electric car <laughs> that was having these issues. Um, but as vehicles get more and more complex um, and more and more integrated with computers, and it's been happening for 25 years now, Yeah. Um, the infotainment center of your car, the, the center console of your car, it's more than just your radio or your GPS unit. It also contains sometimes your ECU, your door locks, your, you know, airbag deployment, your this, your that. Um, and depending on the car company, it could be all integrated. It could be all separate units. Um, I know on my car, uh, my... 2013 Nissan Frontier, the head unit is pretty much just a head unit, but it also contains the Bluetooth module and has, you know, wires that go everywhere. Um, it's also backup camera and everything else, but there's not really a lot of engine functions that are tied to it. Um, things like traction control, that's in a separate control module. Engine control, that's in a separate module. Um, but apparently, uh, the Honda <laughs> vehicles um, have a lot of the vehicle control tied to the, the infotainment, and the reason they do that is because, well, that's the most powerful computer in the car. Why not have it multitask? Um, or why not have, you know, many separate modules on the same board? And so you can have, you know, a number of different microcontrollers or integrated circuits doing multiple tasks on a single board. And then your, you know, production cost goes down. Um, but apparently 608,000 minivans and SUVs from Honda are suffering backup camera and instrument panel failure that can lead to other vehicle failures. <laughs> Um, so the official list is 
218, 2018 through 2020 Odysseys, 2019 and 2020 Passports, 2019 through 21 Pilots, all of all of which shipped with inappropriate software programming, um, is the official language in the recall. Um, and in incorrect central network software programming may cause several errors to occur that can delay or prevent the review camera er image from displaying, uh, which could pose a hazard because how many people use their rearview mirrors anymore <laughs> who have backup cameras? Uh. I still do. Um, <laughs> mainly because in my two vehicles, uh, number one, I have a, uh, uh, I've got a 2004 Nissan 350Z. Uh, it has a backup camera on it. Uh, however, you're almost completely blind to the rear of you. And so I have to use a combination of both plus literally hanging my head out the window to back it up. If I'm on a, uh, a corner in one way parking on a street, uh, a la downtown Salem. Rhett knows what I'm talking about. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Uh, good luck getting out of there. Yeah. It, any any one way street with head in parking, you know what I'm talking about. The you all park at 45. I I can't back out of those spots. I I hate it. Um, completely blind to to the rear left. Um, and then my truck, uh, the review camera monitor is about this big. <laughs> 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 I went to this like trade school years ago and the first course was literally how to back out of downtown Salem safely. <laughs> yeah. that's. Uh, he was like, you're going to be spending a lot of time downtown Salem. And I suggest that you, uh, this is how you do it. And literally mm -hmm. held like a two hour course on safely getting in and out of downtown Salem. <laughs> he said his first day on the job in like the sixties, he just, backed right out of one of those spots and got rear-ended so hard and he looked like such a dingus he's like yep. so now i dedicate all this time to making sure it never happens to anyone else <laughs> um anyway the other issue that can uh happen to your vehicle if you have one of the affected vehicles is the incorrect instrument panel control module software can cause instrument panel not to display critical information such as engine oil pressure speedometer and gear select position until the next ignition cycle so basically it can freeze in place um, or display an invalid uh, symbol. So if you think you're in reverse and you're actually in drive, that might be a problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, if you have one of those vehicles, get it checked out. Uh, get a hold of Honda, get a hold of your local dealer. Uh, be safe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, they built 10 times redundant systems in planes, uh, but cars are just eff it. Uh, uh, look, it costs so much. Oh my OMG. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's pretty much it. Um, cars are single point of failure. Now the advantage to cars over planes is that a single point of failure, you're usually not going to die. Now there's some single points of failure that can cause you to die, but a single point of failure on a plane, you die. <laughs> there's, there, there's not a lot out of that. Um, and I like how someone from Germany is claiming that cars are under-engineered. That's just great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks Germany. Get out of here. Uh, anyway, so hopefully, uh, uh, Honda will resolve this. Apparently back in 2018, Honda recalled about 250,000 Honda Accords over almost the exact same issue. 
so I don't know if they just reuse programming, maybe. Could be. I will say, this is a delicious old fashioned. It looks like you're enjoying it too much. I'm a little I am, jealous. I am definitely enjoying this old fashioned. Um, like I said, it's um, since I didn't take the time to stir it and get some dilution to it right away, it's it's got some punch to it. It's it's not a uh, a light hitter. They they mean all of that eighty proof. Um, and you taste it, and it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but now that it's uh it's diluted a little bit you know melted some of the ice in here um it is v it's it's like a dessert old-fashioned it, it's what i would want um i'd have this with ice cream like i said i'm, I'm getting like it's like orange... a post dinner like type of drink oh it totally is uh and well, to me like old-fashioned a... is is either during dinner or post dinner anyway that's usually when i i enjoy having one um but i keep getting um orange creamsicle that's that's all i can smell on the nose anymore once i i went oh that's you know those old orange creamsicle pops yeah that's yeah. exactly what this smells like uh and the taste kind of carries that through with just the right amount of rye just a little bit of pepper on it a little bit of cinnamon a little bit of spice oh it's good <laughs> i am liking this all right uh let's see uh link down in the video description is an official statement from honda if you'd like some more information on the uh recall let's get into our lead story for the night and that is that uh this has been talked about for a couple of weeks now and it's really been gaining steam i wanted to talk about it last week but we were literally so jam-packed with news this is the item that got the cut to tell you how much news was in, this, in the, uh, <laughs> the cycle last week. Um, NVIDIA in very late talks to buy ARM. Uh, if you don't know, ARM is a silicon chip and is likely responsible for powering your smartphone. Um, as pretty much all modern smartphone processors are based on ARM, uh, a, a variant of ARM of some kind, um, as well as a good number of Chromebooks out there. Uh, a good number of low-power laptops, uh, you know, smart devices kind of things are all ARM-based. Um, I shouldn't say laptops outside of Chromebooks. Outside of Chromebooks, you really don't see ARM all that much, but they do exist. Uh, and believe it or not, ARM has actually uh, been shooting to get more and more silicon into servers as of late. Um, because ARM can be not necessarily as potent as x86 as far as raw horsepower and versatility um but at the same time if you have a um multi-threaded workload and you want to build an arm processor specifically to tackle that workload um arm is definitely more efficient because number one it probably costs less to produce because you're producing less silicon and number two you can pour, pack more silicon into a single you know one u server slot uh, and get more silicon that's more efficient into a single 42U rack. Uh, and as we all know, uh, basically it's production per square foot inside of a data center and production per watt, uh, both of which are winners as far as ARM goes, as long as your use case facilitates it. Uh, so ARM is a pretty major player in the modern space, both Internet of Things, smartphone, uh, devices you would never think of. 
microwaves, smart fridges, um, wireless access points, modems. I mean, you, you go down the list of if it plugs into a computer, has something to do with a computer, if it's not an x86 chip, it's either a microcontroller or there's a really good chance it's ARM. So there you go. Uh, anyway, NVIDIA is in talks to buy ARM uh, for a reported, what was it, 37 billion, I wanted to say? 32. Oh no, cash and stock worth 32 billion, there it is. Um, now this is only four years after uh, ARM Holdings sold uh, to their current ownership group for $32 billion. So they're looking at selling for pretty much a break-even point uh, and, uh, and NVIDIA moving into that, that industry. Now, NVIDIA buying them is definitely an interesting talking point in the industry because that's been, <coughs> if you look at AMD, AMD, uh, what was it back in 2007, I wanna say, bought ATI and, and you know wrapped Radeon products into the AMD product stack. But before then it was its own independent uh, uh, video card company. And uh, AMD now builds both pieces to a modern gaming system and a modern, you know, gaming console in that they both produce the the raw processing silicon and they also produce the rasterization silicon in, in the form of x86 chips and in the form of graphics cards. Uh, if you look at Intel, Intel produces x86 chips. They're getting into the graphics card market. Uh, supposedly next week, we're gonna hear a lot more on what Intel Z or XE or whatever the bloody heck they wanna call it, uh, is going to look like and possibly a look at some early consumer and server level products. Uh, Nvidia, since they stopped making chipsets all the way back in 2006, I wanna say for Intel, when Intel started getting a little greedy and wanted to produce all their chipsets themselves, um, uh, Nvidia's really been out of that kind of race. Um, they produce graphics cards and they produce really kind of the, the best graphics cards around and the best graphics technology around. Um, no offense to AMD, but NVIDIA does seem to be a little bit ahead at this point and continue to be, to be ahead in the market. Uh, and NVIDIA does have some other ventures in there. They've got their gaming lines. They've, they've got the NVIDIA Shield. They're also uh, very high up with uh, artificial intelligence. They uh, famously partnered with Tesla uh, for helping do the artificial intelligence self-driving uh, systems. Uh, they've also partnered with a number of other companies for systems like that. Um, but that's all based on their GPU silicon. It's all based on artificial intelligence, heavy compute, um, you know, raw performance on their GPU silicon. If they owned ARM, number one, that gives them a whole other wing to the company that could be very, very profitable for them. Uh, if we start seeing more and more adoption of ARM in desktop and mobile and compute units that we use around the home, uh, such as, hey, Windows 10 has an official kernel on ARM now. You can da download uh, Ubuntu Mate uh, for the Raspberry Pi and have a fully fledged Ubuntu desktop running on a Raspberry Pi. Um, and it's uh, as good as, as Raspbian or Raspberry Pi OS is, uh, Ubuntu is that much more feature rich. It's been around that much longer. Uh, and you know, on the consumer side of the Linux thing, there's just no competing with them. So the more and more we see ARM pushing into not only the server realm, but the compute and internet of things realm, as well as the home computing realm, this makes a lot of sense for NVIDIA.
Rhett, you got anything to say? <laughs> well, and you just think about too, I mean, uh, Intel and AMD are both pretty well. I, I, I think you were describing this earlier with the new Intel uh, series that's coming out for graphics card uh, that we'll hear about next week, but mm -hmm. it, it just gives Nvidia a little bit more of an edge in the future to make decisions on, well, to just, you know, make money in markets if uh, the GPU market goes down or whatever it might be. It just, it, it, it's like future insurance for like market fluctuations for whatever. I mean, AMD right. is making chips and video cards. Intel is going to be doing the same thing. You know, NVIDIA has been a big player for so long <clears throat> and ARM's kind of in a space that AMD and Intel aren't in. So it's kind of a, it's an right. interesting move. Uh, I see a lot of, a lot of stories put the spin on it that, it could draw some antitrust uh, scrutiny onto them. It may um, a little bit, but I really, I, I sincerely doubt it. And the I reason is, is there are two other very well-established players who do the same thing, who, right. who both make compute silicon and graphics silicon, especially with Intel starting to push into the graphics silicon market uh, and push into the, uh, the add-in card market that AMD and Nvidia have traditionally owned for the last 20 years. Um, you know, just because you're the market leader in graphics doesn't mean you can't have a market that, you know, it has 3% of the marketplace as far as yeah. compute and, and server real estate to compete with the other people who are competing in the exact same thing. Right. So I think it's gonna draw eyes and I think it justifiably should draw eyes. But I think it also passes the sniff test yeah. very, very easily. Well, and the, and the only reason I bring it up is just because uh, a lot of tech giants have been sort of looking at antitrust issues. Uh, you know, the Discord was aflame with software giants kind of facing that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been a minute since I think we've seen any of the hardware tech giants looking down this. Like you said, I, I think it passes the sniff test. That's a good metaphor for it. Um, mm -hmm. But a all, of the, all of the news outlets are, are kind of touching on it. And so I wonder, like, you know, what sort of, uh, I wonder what's there that might, uh, yeah, I'm overlooking, you know. Right. And there could be an aspect that I'm overlooking, but just from a, just from a market share standpoint, the reason Microsoft got slapped with antitrust back in, what was it, 1998, um, over them squeezing out Netscape Navigator and other other competing browsers, Opera, uh, in in lieu of Internet Explorer, was because Microsoft had ninety percent of the home desktop market, um, and by squeezing out competitors in favor of your own product, when you own the monopoly on the product that is used, and you're using that influence to squeeze other competitors out, um, that's antitrust. Um, now. They also got in trouble for it again in 2013 when they were trying to to squeeze Edge into everything. And so uh, they didn't necessarily get in trouble in the States, but the European Union um, took a hard look at them. And depending on what organiz or what uh, region you... Um, I think we lost Rhett here. <laughs> oh, no. Yep, we lost Rhett. I saw it coming. All right. Uh, let's go to me and big screen. There we go. Hopefully Rhett will be back soon. Um... Anyway, when uh, when you own that much of the market share, you can't use your market share to squeeze others out of the market. Now, 
if NVIDIA were to try to use its market share uh, on the graphics side of things to weasel in an ARM processor in lieu of an AMD or an Intel processor, that's still questionable whether or not that's going to get any scrutiny or not because you're buying the desktop platform to use an add-in graphics card. No one's buying the add-in graphics card to use the desktop platform. And so that's going to be a very easy argument for NVIDIA to make. Um, and the existing software doesn't work. The, you know, gamers are not going to buy an ARM processor to play three games when x86 has the lion's share of it. Um, it, it's just not. Same thing with server architecture. Unless your architecture for your program that you're running specifically requires ARM, you're not going ARM. You're going with whatever makes sense for your use case. Um, so <laughs> I was wondering when Jeff was going to notice. I was hoping it was just a temporary glitch uh, and that he would be back. Uh, and so I was just hoping his video would like stutter for a second and then catch back up. I didn't want to draw too much attention to it. Uh, but yeah, Rhett is gone. Um, hopefully he will come back. <laughs> I don't know that that's the case, though. Uh, we had some uh, some issues early on uh, when he and I were chatting. Uh, he says, internet went down for some reason. He's trying to get it back up now. So hopefully, hopefully he'll be back. Um, if not, you get me for the next uh, hour and 20 minutes. Uh, so yeah, um, it's definitely... definitely an interesting proposition for NVIDIA to own ARM. And I think there's a lot of different use cases that ARM could... could uh, be injected into NVIDIA's business, either as a separate model. Um, obviously, the, the biggest thing right now that's hanging out there is Apple just announced they're using 100% ARM processors moving forward. Now, ARM is an open source technology. You can make your own ARM processor license-free, duty-free, or duty-free anyway, um, and, uh, and customize it to your own liking. And Apple has been doing that for a number of years, ever, ever since they started making the, the A-series chips, I believe starting with the A4 with the iPhone 4. That's Apple-grown silicon. Um, and now they're producing the A13, A13X. Um, so, you know, it's been quite a few years since they've, uh, um, you know, been doing their own silicon. And the next obvious step is to do their own silicon on the desktop. You know, why not write all of our own code, all of our own things for all of our own ecosystem. It it totally makes sense for them. Um, what does this NVIDIA move mean for Apple? What does this Apple move mean for NVIDIA? Uh, those are two very good questions that are going to be interesting to play out over the next couple of years. Um, who knows? Uh, Apple designs its own chips since 2007. Um, yeah, the first iPhone came out in 2006, and Apple has designed some silicon along the way, but the first Apple-designed silicon, um, I want to say, was with the iPhone 4, where it was designed 100% in-house uh, using ARM technology. Uh, the iPhone has always been ARM, but they've always used off-the-shelf components or, or pre-done ARM processors or minor customizations where they took exi an existing code base or an existing architecture and just put it in their their smartphone um they started doing their own uh camera technology with a with a, a co-processor essentially a while back um i believe that started with the 3gs and then was integrated into the iphone 4 and since the iphone 4 it's been growing and growing and growing and they've been you know becoming better and better at making their own silicon um All right. Uh, so, 
Twitter. <laughs> um, see, I actually didn't read too much about this story, but uh, one of the Twitter hackers um, accused of uh, last month's um, uh, Twitter exploit in which they took over accounts of Barack Obama and Bill Gates and Joe Biden and uh, Elon Musk. And you go down the list and there were a hundred some odd, you know, major celebrity uh, profiles that were that were attacked. Hey, Red is back. All right. As soon as he gets on, we'll we'll see if we can get him back. Oh, looks like he's joining us from a smartphone. All right. Red, Red, are you there? I can't hear you. Oh, there it is. Yes. Yes, <laughs> we're on. Uh, yeah, on, L, on uh, 4G though, so we'll see how long, we'll this, see how long lasts. this lasts. Uh, just send uh, me the bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, I might have to go get another drink after that. <laughs> yeah, not sure what's going on. Uh, so weather is a little bit uh, temperamental compared to what it was uh, when I started. So I'm wondering if maybe there's a, a down cable or something somewhere. Yeah, the wind um, picked up a little bit, I noticed, towards the evening. So, And my my neighborhood is notorious for trees bringing down power all the time. This is the first time uh, our internet's gone out since we've lived here like this. But uh, I've noticed that the whole block uh, is, is suffering the same fate. So. Yeah. There, there's a lot of old trees in your neighborhood. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, and, and it's all overground power lines. See here, the majority of our of our power lines are all underground. Um, there, there's no power poles literally anywhere on my street or any of the surrounding streets. I think there's one that goes up the main stretch, um, but that's that's really it. So anyway, we were just getting into the Twitter conversation about uh, the Twitter hackers court date. Uh, that was uh, rudely interrupted. <laughs> earlier today uh so apparently they're still figuring out how to use zoom over in florida because the twitter hackers court date was interrupted by porn a la a zoom bomb <laughs> um like i said i just very briefly glanced over this story uh so i'll kind of read it here live with you guys um florida newspaper the tampa bay times reported that Interruptions grew so frequent that Hillsborough Circuit Court Judge uh, Christopher C. Nash ended the Zoom hearing temporarily. Um, uh, some atten attendees played music down the line. Uh, another used Zoom's screen sharing feature to play pornography, which reporters said was the final straw that suspended the meeting. <laughs> um, so apparently they still haven't figured out how to secure their meetings down in Florida. No, which just seems not. like uh, when you're dealing with someone who allegedly, you know, social engineered and hacked their way into Twitter and got access to internal controls and whatnot, and you're planning on hosting a Zoom meeting for his initial court hearing, maybe put a password on that one and uh, <laughs> you know, a little waiting room and all the things that that we employ to keep uh, ne'er do wells out might be a good idea. Yeah, uh, we're f we're being uh, exposed to just how technologically illiterate so many uh, high-ranking mm -hmm. officials are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of the big thing with like a lot of the the hearings surrounding tech in Congress lately. It's like all of the young congressmen and women are like, how do you, how do you guys not know this? Right. To the older congressmen right. and women. Uh, you know, there there were comments during the 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 hearing this last week. Um, for those who don't know, we're talking about the, the Jeff Bezos. Uh, gosh, go down Tim the list. Apple. Tim, Tim Apple. Mark Facebook. <laughs> um, we're talking about that hearing that happened last week, and uh, the congressmen were saying, "Well, is is it possible that someone who is reading the news on Facebook that you will sell uh, rights to have a page promoted higher up than other results that they're searching for?" And Facebook went. Yeah, that's kind of how we make all of our money. <laughs> um, it's like, have you ever been on Google? You notice the first three results say "ad" right next to them. That's how Google makes all of their money. Everything else to Google is a pet project. Those yeah. three spots is how Google makes all of their money, and I mean all of their money. Um, so, why this is so shocking? that you know yeah it, i don't know it it just shows yeah i think you know obviously things can only get better hopefully but uh <laughs> it's just these people really ought to know yeah more um, about what I've, we're expecting see, them to deal with i see so much uh being you know having been in it for so long um when it comes to management, and I'm speaking to not to be ageist or anything like that, but I'm speaking to a particular age group um, who, well, I didn't grow up with technology, so I just don't understand it. Uh, And to a certain extent, that's fair. I don't expect you to know how to program Java, but I expect you to know how to log into your email. And I expect you to know how to, you know, log into your bank account online and how to do all these other things, because that's kind of part of modern society. And that's the way things function anymore. Um, You're going to laugh at kids for not knowing how to write a check. Um, I do know how to write a check, but I don't need to write checks anymore because it's not part of my daily life anymore. I don't pay for my groceries with checks. Um, But... uh, there's also a segment of that population, and, and it's a segment of that population that is in management that will make a decision and not listen to the people who might know better. And this happens top to bottom across all organizations, across all different businesses and, and government types um, of we're going to establish a policy based on I think it's the way that this should work. And you leave IT going okay, I, I spent 20 years in this industry. You want to listen to me? No, because I know better than you because I'm your manager. And that happens so often. And that leads to situations like Twitter, like Canon, like Garmin, like Delta Airlines. You can go down the list of Delta Airlines uh, uh, failures in the last number of years. Um, but mismanagement and misguidance and insistence that you have to be the smartest one in the room to be in management when that's totally not the case. Um, Being a manager means guiding the ship, 
but trusting those under you and and trusting those who might know more than you um and that's a hard thing for some people to get over being a good manager also means being a good listener yes and knowing when you're not the smartest person in the room and knowing when to take a back seat and let someone else make a decision now you back up the decision and you hold them accountable to their to their decision but you understand you're not the person to make the decision even right. if it's your job <laughs> so i I've, I've come across so many situations like that and i've dealt with so many individual businesses and uh, government organizations and everything else that have had that that strategy of um I'm the manager, the buck stops with me. I really want access to all of our employee files at all the time because I'm the manager and I should have that kind of access. Um, okay, have you heard of this thing called ransomware? Where if you accidentally click on a link, you'll literally drown us as a company. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not that stupid to do that. Okay, last week you clicked on a link and you gave away your password. Yeah, but I need access to everyone's files. Okay. And three weeks later, they're out of business because he opened invoice.exe <laughs> in some random email from a company he'd never heard of before. Yeah. <laughs> so um, happens all the time. It happens way more than is reported by the news. Um, he went to Amazon.com. <laughs> right. Not that some IT people are, are you know, blameless in this. Uh, you know, there are some stupid IT people out there too. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers as a manager. I don't have all the answers as an IT person, but. <laughs> we don't like yeah. using the word stupid, okay, Jeff? We like to use the word suboptimal, okay? It's a little bit more friendly to yeah. the peons. Okay. I'll, I'll see if I can <laughs> paradigm shift that in my uh, in my growth, growth plan. <laughs> yeah. We'll go ahead and check back with it at our weekly meeting. Double back. A uh, double back. Double so back. Sorry. Come on. We're gonna go get, ahead and double... get your biz. You speak. Right. <laughs> no. We're gonna go ahead and double circle back to that. And uh... Uh, how did oh, we not use synergy in well? Hole. I know. <laughs> We're gonna put a pin uh, in this. We're and, gonna put a pin uh... in this. <laughs> double double back once we uh, uh, unif once we reunify our core assets, and then we'll. <laughs> Synergy. Before we move on from this Twitter story, I don't know if we uh, if we uh, mentioned or not because I was sort of transitioning from the phone to the this, but mm -hmm. uh, but uh, this this dude's bail is held at seven hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. Yep. Well, apparently is... he made that in Bitcoin. Although I don't know if the state of Florida will accept Bitcoin on on behalf of bail. <laughs> is that what he made? Because I thought he got less. But maybe. Uh, I... I, I was seeing reports the day of as high as $650,000. Oh, okay. Okay. So like comparable. Yeah. Cause people um, were monitoring that wallet. Gotcha. So. Uh, interesting. I, I just thought that that was an interesting, um, I don't know, an interesting bail amount. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess I'm glad they're going after, you know, cyber crimes and stuff like this. Um, mm -hmm. I just wish that it was supplied uniformly to yeah. people. I'm just glad I don't have to deal with that crap anymore. Right, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Well, anyway. I'm reading some of your comments, and I agree with most of, most of them. However, I can't read most of them on the air either. So just know that I'm reading and I'm chuckling along with you. Uh, <laughs> people still use faxes in business communication? Oh, God, yeah. Um, uh, luckily, hospitals have kind of moved on, but there's there's some circles of, of business and, and government that have not, where the only acceptable way to transmit something is a fax because it's more secure. Okay, yeah. you realize a fax is an unencrypted form of communication that I can snip a $2 sniffer onto a line and read all of your incoming fax. Oh, and send them over the internet to myself. Uh, and when the fax prints out, it simply prints out uh, to the office in the middle of wherever because the secretary said, oh, I don't want to get up to, from my desk to have to answer the fax because I have to do it so often during the day. And so I just want it to print out next to my desk. However, she's only half the time at her desk. And so half the time it sits there in an unoccupied office and it's confidential information regarding your, your health records. Um, that's yeah. a thing. Um, versus I mean, email, it... which is encrypted two-way communication, which only the recipient can open. <laughs> yeah. It's just wild. I mean, you think fax has been around longer than the telephone, I think, unless I'm just making stuff up. In that time, they figured out some ways to get around it. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I always the love when I, is, yeah, I always ahead. love when I get emails uh, from a, uh, an organization. Uh, I believe Salem Health does this. Salem Health, every email they send says you've received an email from Salem Health. Please click here to log in to view the email. Hmm. You have to set up an account with Salem Health to view the encrypted email, <laughs> which was sent over HTTPS from their secure server, received by Google or whoever your MX is, um, and then delivered to you via secure server, encrypted the whole way in flight, but no, we also need to encrypt the contents of the email and make you log into our service using an email that looks like spam and phishing. <laughs> <laughs> well, just saying. <laughs> healthcare industry has a lot of catching up to do as well. Yeah. Yes. Think about who manages the healthcare industry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see. Anyway, I could talk about that all night. I'd rather not. That's uh, about it for tech news, unless I'm yeah. mistaken. No, that's pretty much it. Jeff um, and I had a hard time kind of finding any uh, more stories that were yep. appropriate. Yes. Uh, now, we have been requested to talk about the following story for the last two weeks. Uh, so ever since this became news, uh, we've been... It's probably been my most requested story. And that is, of course... Beer mustard, or rather mustard beer. Um, now, supposedly, uh, Franz's is going to be, or French's, excuse me, not France, French. Uh, French's is going to be collaborating with uh, Oscar Blues Brewery to create a pale ale beer that's been brewed with French's mustard. Um, a six pack will run you about 20 bucks and you can pick one up. Supposedly it's not supposed to taste exactly like mustard, but it's definitely mustard inspired. Um, seeing as how they brewed it with mustard. Um, 
As you can probably tell from the facial expressions and tone that I'm talking in, I am not a fan of this venture. <laughs> Interesting, because I am. <laughs> Are you? Okay, well then we have a great conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, they make, you know, flavored, I mean, they make every flavor beer. They've tried everything. Yep. Mustard uh, itself is the oldest spice on record to humankind. It is about time that it's had a mashup. It's about time the oldest beer met the oldest spice is what you're saying, huh? Right, exactly. The, the oldest recipe met the oldest uh, spice. Exactly. Exactly my point. These are two ancient, uh, ancient traditions being joined into one in the modern day. I approve. Not only that, I love mustard. Okay, there's only one true oh. condiment, and it's mustard, sir. Ooh. So, would you rather drink ketchup-flavored beer or mustard-flavored beer? The answer is obvious. It's mustard every time. And if you disagree, I'd rather not drink vinegar. <laughs> well, like, given the two choices, it's really good though. Vinegar is great. Vinegar is a garnish, not an ingredient. Uh, okay, well, say that to my grandmother's Depression-era vinegar pie. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. And doesn't... I'm sure it I is. I mean, it's, it's kind of tastes like... Kind of tastes vinegar? like pie, but... <laughs> it like pie. <laughs> it has like an aftertaste of vinegar. It's not all that bad. Yeah. But I like vinegar. <laughs> so... <laughs> that kind of popped open on my... All right, I'm uh, opening drink number two here, oh. which is the Courage and Stone Classic Manhattan. Damn, bro, you're going for the next one? I'm going for the next one. It's been an hour. Well, okay, plus you ain't driving anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking out for you, man, you know? I, know. I, know. I myself uh, cracked a refreshing uh, 95-calorie Michelob Ultra. I know. Send the cops. Um, it's, not, it's only 2.6 carbs. Oh no, Rhett's breaking up again. Sorry, but <laughs> where'd he go? We lost it, him. <laughs> no wonder oh, no. Comcast shut me down. <laughs> uh, Whatever. I can already get all the hate for drinking Rainier. We may as well drink a Michelob Ultra. I will say, much like the old fashioned, this is trending kind of sweet. Um, although you got, I've definitely got the vermouth in there. I've definitely got the whiskey in there. Um, much warmer smelling. I, I know that's a weird phrase, but it's a uh, little bit more savory smelling. Obviously it's vermouth. Yeah, kind of like it. And this is a Manhattan. This is a Manhattan, uh, which for those who don't know is a 212 uh, whiskey, sweet vermouth, and bitters. Not two ounces of bitters, two dashes of bitters. But two ounce whiskey, one ounce vermouth, two dashes of bitters. Serve in a rock, or serve over a rock, or straight up. <coughs> uh, guys, what kind of beer haven't you tried this year? Uh, a lot, because I usually go to beer festivals, and I haven't yeah. gone to one in over a year now. Yeah. You know, normally most of the new stuff I'm trying is at the uh, 
curated tap houses. It's at the brew fests. It's at Jeff's house. (laughs) Um, None of which we can do, Uh, which is why I get whatever's on sale sometimes. And I, uh, and I get it. So, I mean, you know, craft beer didn't disappear, but it's become a little bit more of a challenge to uh, get into my refrigerator. Yeah. Um, my craft beer budget is certainly down for this year. Um, I'm not buying yeah. nearly as much. Um, and the stuff that I am buying is usually not quite as high shelf that I usually did, uh, both liquor and, and beer. Uh, part of that is because, well, I'm self-employed now. I took a pretty massive uh, pay cut uh, in order to to go full-time here. And also because of the pandemic, I can't go out and go to my local bottle shop whenever I want or you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been tough. Um, you can almost feel the disappointment in Jeff's voice. No, seriously. Uh, it's been a year since I've been to a beer fest and I'm freaking <laughs> going nuts. Come on, Red, not so much. I like craft beer. Y'all seen me drinking craft beer for freaking what? Two years now? Yep. Two and a half years? Two years. Red's tastes simply haven't grown up yet. I mean, They've grown up plenty, sir. You know what? It used to be the only one I used to have to defend myself from was John. What happened? <laughs> he got more friends. You know what? When we were in when we were in Seattle for PAX, Steve bought a Rainier. He and did. No one gave him crap. He's earned that right. Oh, oh. That was the exception for Steve, not the rule. And also, didn't Steve come back with like a six pack of 10% that day as well? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, so he goes, this is my starter and then I'm gonna finish with, with you know, Rainier once I can't taste taste anymore. Yeah, in fact, I'm pretty sure he got the six pack of the Rainier because it was the special uh, release like pale ale, I guess, that they right. were doing. Yeah. And it was like the first time that it was out on shelves, the first time he saw it. So he got a six pack to see what I thought of it. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, whatever. I like, I love craft beer. I just also, there's a place for cheap beer. Just like there's a place for crappy action movies, but there's also a place for highbrow cinema. That's right. And sometimes you just want to watch someone just. Sometimes you, sometimes you want to watch Taken and not be judged for it. Right. I like Taken. It's when you it's when you go to the sequel. It's when you go to Taken Two that I'm going to start to raise an eyebrow. Yeah, Taken really Three. Really, Rat. Taken like, Three. Then we're all looking at you. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you watch Taken One. It's like, okay, I, I I need to shut my brain off and just enjoy a good ride every once in a while. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. You go to Taken Two. It's like, dude, John Wick is right there. <laughs> yeah. It's dude. Yeah. You could go to better cinema. I just watched John Wick 3. That's why action movies are on my mind. So good. Yeah, I loved it. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, Big Big Soon, $2 donation. Thank you so much. And new member Chuck, thank you for joining Chuck. And a $25 donation to go along with the membership. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Go buy some IPAs. Now let's talk about some cool AI projects. Uh, Let's see what we can do for you. Um... Let's see. Next story up is Coca-Cola is launching a hard seltzer sometime in 2021 called Tapo. Uh, Tapo Chico. 
Gonna be a hard seltzer. Obviously not under the Coca-Cola brand name, because uh, that'd be weird, but Coca-Cola is the owner of millions of different beverages, it seems like, and uh, why not get in on the hard seltzer craze? A year and a half late. Yeah. And uh, this one was kind of interesting to me as a coffee drinker. Um, and uh, Red, I'm sure you're kind of right in that boat with me. Yeah. Uh, nitro cold brew tea may be kind of the new craze for the non-alcoholic uh, drinkers out there. I can get on board with that. Yeah. Uh, this is this is pretty cool because to me, tea is sort of my go-to non-drink drink you know my non-alcoholic mm -hmm. drink um specifically because you can enjoy it in so many different ways specifically because it has lots of different flavors you can drink herbal you can drink whatever um you can add lemon you can add honey you can add milk um so it's got lots of utility um this seems awesome you know reading the story uh nitrogen infused just like your 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 cold brew coffee Mm -hmm. um i'm on board 100 percent uh you know yeah. i drink a ton of coffee i for some reason i consider myself more of a tea person i think mm -hmm. i think before like five years ago i drank only tea and now yeah. for some reason i only drink coffee but um yeah i'm i'm 100 percent on board more so than the coca-cola story <laughs> yeah um yeah uh i'm i'm the kind of guy who sometimes has a cup of coffee in the morning. I, I'm definitely not an every morning coffee kind of guy. I usually wake up pretty well um, and, and get pretty engaged right away. Okay, rub um, it in. <laughs> you remember me. At a, I'm not at a CES. morning person. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Let's let's clarify that right now. Um, I don't know. All I'm hearing is don't eat coffee. I'm a morning person. No, once, <laughs> once I've awoken, I'm fine. Um, I, I don't have that two hour drag. Uh, now I do have like a 30 minute where it's like, don't talk to me. I, I need to wake up. I need to, you know, splash some water in my face, brush my teeth, that kind of thing. Usually after about 30 minutes, I'm, I'm ready to just go. Um, but I'm not the 5.30 wake up either. I'm the, if, if you touch me before seven in the morning, I'm going to come up with fists flying, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my wake up routine. Um, so anyway, but yeah, I'm, I'm a sometimes, you know, one cup of coffee in the morning if I need a little, little kickstart, um, for some things, but, uh, I do like a good green tea or a good black tea and, yep. uh, I could totally get on board with a, with a nitro infused tea. Well, and what's, um, what's kind of fun about it too, is obviously like being a nitro, like you can get it out of a tap and put it into a glass and like looking right. at the pictures in this article, it looks like a light beer, right. um, which I think is I think that's really cool for... Yeah, that's a tea. Yeah. That's a tea. <laughs> and it looks really delicious. If you get me a hop-infused nitro tea, oh, Lord. <laughs> that's all oh, I'll ever drink other than beer. What I think is pretty cool about it and is, cocktails. you know, you, you hear a lot of people like, uh, you know, be, being in the communities that I'm in, you know, sometimes people say, hey, you know, I, I, I still want to come out and be involved in it, that sort of stuff. But I, I, I got to cut back on my drinking. What, mm -hmm. what sorts of options are there that allow me to, like, hang out with my friends on the corner while they're drinking a beer, mm -hmm. but I, I'm not drinking. And, and and the go-to a lot of people said was kombucha. Now, kombucha is is a great alternative. However, mm -hmm. let's say you're working uh, the 12-step program or something like that. Kombucha's got alcohol in it. Um, right. Very, very little bit. 
Yeah. But it's got alcohol in it. Two, three percent. But it has alcohol in it. Now, tea, on the other hand, has no alcohol. And this yeah. looks like a beer. So you can stand on the corner with your friends while they drink their, you know, whatever they're drinking. You got yourself a nitro cold brew tea or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you blend in. Right. Uh, no, nobody's wondering what's wrong with you like everybody does when you say you're not right. drinking or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you blend you right in. You can't enjoy a beer every once in a while. You know, you say, oh, no, disrespect no to I don't people. drink. And they're like, right. why? What's right. what? <laughs> right. Sometimes you just don't want to drink a beer. And this right. gives you now. It's like my go-to, you know, it's like I, I started, if I wanted to slow down or cut back, I just go get a club soda with a spritz of lime mm-hmm. in a cocktail glass. No one knows. Right. They're just like, what do you drink? I'm like, gin and tonic. <laughs> right. This um, is the gin and tonic of beers. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, you know, sometimes I'll I'll do a uh, uh, a ginger ale and, and cranberry juice. That's one of my go tos when it's like I I I kind of want a beer, but I don't want a beer kind of thing. And uh, or ginger ginger beer and uh, and cranberry juice. Or I'll yeah, do a uh, yeah. Um, I'll do an Italian soda. I'll do just you know half ounce of syrup and and club soda. And, Perfect. And that's delicious. In fact, they make an amaretto soda that's, or an amaretto syrup that's freaking delicious. And uh, just a little bit of club soda with that, and it's fantastic. Um, non-alcoholic, low calorie, <laughs> <laughs> low-ish yeah. calorie, I guess. I gotta say, if this ever becomes an option where we are, hundred uh, percent, I'm there. I'll give it a yeah. go. Uh, as soon as they start serving it downtown, we'll go. <laughs> there you go. I, I guarantee Archive's going to start selling it. Oh, they probably would, yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly the place I'd, I'd expect to find it. All right. Uh, moving into a little bit of gaming and entertainment news. Uh, we've got a couple stories here, and then it's pretty much going to be your guys' show for the last half hour. Whatever you want to talk about, uh, get your questions ready, because slow week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no other way to put it. Um <clears throat> Starting with classic Halo games uh, are going to be getting crossplay and modern uh, features, including lobbies and uh, matchmaking, beginning uh, in late 2020. Uh, now, obviously, the Master Chief Collection, uh, the Halo Collection, which includes all of the the, you know how much it pains me to say the retro Halo games right now. I know. Don't say okay. it. The the <laughs> retro Halo games, which first debuted in 2003. Oof. Oof. 17 years ago. That doesn't seem real. I know. Wow. There could be a high school senior who graduated before Halo came out. Do you realize that? Or who was born before Halo came out? Wow. Who just graduated. Yeah. Like, it, it could be a thing. Uh, it probably is. Uh, anyway, not to make everyone feel old. But uh, the classic Halo games inside of the Master Chief Collection are going to be getting some modern updates. Uh, more so than the graphical packs, they're going to be modern multiplayer updates. Uh, both cross-platform support for the Xbox One X, Series X, XXX, Gamer <laughs> 69, uh, <laughs> um, uh, as well as uh, on the PC. Um, and uh, 
So to this point on on the platform, they've been separated uh, into two separate server groups, but they are going to be merging here very shortly. Uh, Impa-based matchmaking and server, server regions will also be options, as well as custom game browsers, per-game graphics options, and uh, Xbox mouse and keyboard support. So you can plug in a keyboard and mouse into an Xbox and game that way if that is your uh, forte. Uh, there's also going to be PC file sharing and Steam account leaking, uh, linking, not leaking, hopefully not leaking, uh, uh, coming to the Xbox in the Master Chief series later this year. So if you have a Steam profile and you want to get the Steam achievements and uh, and all your Steam friends to match up with your, your Xbox uh, Live friends, then you can link your Steam profile to your Xbox account and play your Halo on an Xbox using your Steam account. <laughs> nice as weird as that sounds <laughs> yeah it's crazy but you know halo multiplayer was pretty cutting edge every step of the way for the first three installments at least right um you know people still talk about the halo 3 like map maker mm -hmm. and, and all that sort of stuff like uh, three was probably my least played for a while but man, like you talk about couch split screen experiences, like Halo 1 and Halo 2 is where it's at. Right. So modernizing all <laughs> this and like hopefully bringing it into, you know, right. This decade, um, uh, like that excites me. Right. You know, we can kind of go back and look at the history of first person shooters and the, the evolution of um, uh, multiplayer gaming. And you can pinpoint it down to a couple key moments. And on the console, you can knock it down to uh, Doom kind of pioneering uh, the first-person shooter as not just a, a cutesy little game, but as a hardcore game with multiple levels and elevators and and uh, and multiplayer. Uh, you could do LAN and, and IPX multiplayer. By the way, IPX multiplayer. How's that date some people? Um, <laughs> Uh, so that was one of the pioneering features of that. Uh, and you can kind of toss Duke Nukem 3D, uh, with, uh, with their engine in there as well, because there was a Duke Nukem 3D multiplayer over LAN and you could, you know, play people in a 3D environment, um, rudimentary, but it worked. And then it was kind of refined. The first person shooter, uh, algorithm was kind of refined, uh, in Quake and Unreal. Uh, and and those became what is the modern PC first-person shooter. Yeah. Um, and uh, and really the the matchmaking on on Unreal kind of defined what it was to play online, and that's been yeah. kind of the model we followed ever since. Yeah. Um, and then over on the console side, you can uh, there's not a lot of early first-person shooters, but you can look at Goldeneye. I, I would say as the first modern first-person shooter on console, and then you know, Halo as the one that refined it. What about, um, man, there's like a couple like Nintendo games that like you can barely classify as first person shooters, but kind of are mm -hmm. like, um, I'm having a real hard time, like thinking about what some of these were like, wasn't okay. Like, and I guess this isn't Nintendo, but like, well, doom existed on the SNES, but it was a terrible port. <laughs> you couldn't well, see was... crap. There was one game called like I had I have it on the Nintendo still somewhere. It's probably in a box somewhere in this very room called like Operation Wolf or something like that. And it was like you aimed kind of like you know with the D pad and mm -hmm. and it was like you were like this army dude and you went up and here you go, quunk, 
you, this is your screen and you like kind of aim and, and shoot dudes as they're coming. Um, I think like Gunstar was like that on the Sega mm-hmm. Genesis as well. Yeah, either way, not necessarily true first person shooters. Um, Perfect you, Dark, Dark and Turok. Someone, uh, a couple people just brought those up as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> BBS multiplayer. That's old school. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, Star Fox, not so much in the first person shooter. Um, and I would say Star Fox was more an evolution of, um, games like, uh, Galaga 1942, Galaga, yeah. 1942, uh, those style games, because it is a, it's a, it's a rail shooter. It, it was kind of combining Virtua Cop in 1942. Uh, if you really want to kind of, you know, break it down. Um, yeah. Uh, but no, uh, Perfect Dark was the spiritual successor to GoldenEye, built by Rareware, the same development house, um, and, and completely original IP using the same engine that they used to build GoldenEye. And, uh, but GoldenEye was the first. It was the first one that was out. It was the first one that kind of defined what the modern first person shooter on a console should be. Um, and as it happens, it was one of the first person or first first person shooters on a console. Um, and there were different iterations of that. Turok was on there, although I don't remember all of the aspects of Turok multiplayer on the N64. I don't think they were all that great. Um, certainly wasn't a level GoldenEye. GoldenEye was interesting because it was like this, this expansive, like first person or, um, uh, single player campaign and like people loved it for the multiplayer, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but then perfect dark was kind of the opposite. Like I barely remember anything about the campaign. Whereas the multiplayer was so much more fleshed out. Like you had so yeah. many more maps, so many more modes, so many different things, so many more types of weapons. And then the stat tracking was like the best part to me because like, you know, you I, I would play with my brothers all the time. And the measure wasn't like how good you did in the match. It was like, yo, where are your, where are your lifetime stats at? You know, right. and we constantly be measuring against each other. And it tracked everything. It was incredible. I mean, it was the first game I ever played where it was like, it tracked like miles walked in the game, you know, like bullets shot a number of times reloaded, like just these minuscule stats that matter to nothing, but then just feed into why I play Dota (laughs) two. Yeah, there's a couple of people who brought up a couple other games. Uh, Hexen and Heretic, those were certainly good games, although I don't think they were quite as revolutionary. Um, and that's my opinion. I could be wrong. But um, but for me, GoldenEye was kind of the revolutionary game, where those were those were good, and they were first-person shooters, just like Turok was a first-person shooter. Um, but Turok, we've already seen an amazing first-person shooter like that in Quake and Unreal and Doom and Doom 2 and and whatnot over on the PC. Whereas on the PC, you also had games that were coming out like uh, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight, uh, which was an amazing first-person shooter in the Star Wars universe uh, with full mod support and and everything else that happened with that game and an incredible online community. Turok doesn't fit that bill. And so it you know, good game, good game for a lot of reasons, but not evolutionary in that that regard. Uh, someone brought up, you got to give nod to Half-Life uh, for what became Counter-Strike. Um, the reason I didn't mention Half-Life is Half-Life was released as a tech demo for the, for their, their early engine. 
Um, and the reason Half-Life was revolutionary was number one, because of the storyline uh, where it was a fully fleshed out, you know, voice acted first person shooter with an engaging and dynamic story. But it was also the tech that was involved in Half-Life making eye contact with, with a character on screen. That had never been done before. Uh, every character on screen was simply, you know, a fixed model that looked somewhere. Whereas in Half-Life, all of a sudden they had eyes that would track your character and their head would turn while, while they were talking and they were supposed to be talking to you. They weren't just a character that was on rails. Um, and so there were a lot of aspects that we kind of take for granted today that that, that introduced. But at the same time, Half-Life was not a revolutionary multiplayer game. It was good and it was revolutionary for a lot of issues, but I was talking specifically about multiplayer. Yeah. Um, uh, do I have any pups craft computing? I have two. I have a uh, Australian Shepherd boxer mix named Ruby and I have a 20 pound black mutt <laughs> named Zeke. Um, and uh, Zeke found us. He uh, wound up on our doorstep New Year's morning uh, about two and a half years ago. So literally slid in, in between uh, our screen door and my front door to get warm. <laughs> and he's lived with us ever since. So, but yeah, um, I would say Counter-Strike is definitely an evolution of the first person shooter community, but Counter-Strike was a community mod written on the Half-Life engine that took inspiration from Quake and Unreal Tournament. So it wasn't necessarily Valve going, this is the direction we see first-person shooters and multiplayer going. It was the community taking inspiration from other aspects and then Valve kind of building you yeah. know, what became Counter-Strike. Yeah. yeah. Good points. Truly, though, multiplayer... I've been around uh, a while. <laughs> multiplayer first-person shooters really have not... I think like gotten better than they were sort of in that golden age, like mid two thousands, you know, when you had like counter-strike source and, and halo mm -hmm. and, you know, UTO four was like the go-to like arena shooter. You can go, like there was kind of a 10 year period, 98 to about 08 where yeah. just about every shooter that came out, every good triple a, you know, the same shooters that we know today kind of came out in that era. Um, and that's when the era was kind of defined. What is a first-person shooter? What is a multiplayer first-person shooter? What is a tournament shooter? What is a... Um, that kind of thing. I will say we rely on a lot of the same mechanics that we did back then. Um, but in the last couple of years, we've taken uh, different different play modes and um, tried to balance games much, much tighter. Um, where my favorite argument for people who say, I'm just as good on a console as you are on a PC, I'd say, okay, log in to a round of Counter-Strike with a controller and just see how you do. Yeah. Because... Even the worst players on there will blow your mind. <laughs> uh, like, good luck. Yeah. Um, and it's always kind of interesting, too, because a game like Counter-Strike has always just made more sense anyways with mm -hmm. the mouse and keyboard. Like, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I remember playing 
Counter-Strike Source all the time on my PC. And I remember they tried really hard to do an Xbox port at one point. Yeah, there was the the orange box. Yeah, that must have been what it was. And I, and I remember like, I'll give this a go. And the game did not make sense really from a console perspective, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird thing to say about a game. But I just remember like just not being able to connect with it. Um, you know, and, and those types of like, I think like team based shooters are kind of like that. Yeah. You know, I think especially when you are come to expect something like Halo delivers, right. which is just a different, you know, different experience. Halo translates well on console and PC. Yes. Um, but whatever it's one it is of the about few the mechanics... shooters to translate well on both platforms, it really is. Um, where, uh, it was just as satisfying for the PC players as it was for the Xbox players. Um, and I had just as much fun playing on the Xbox as I did on the PC. I owned it for both platforms. Um, but you take games like Counter-Strike and it could be just a difference in engine. It could be a difference of controller implementation. Uh, there could be a number of different things that that affect the way a game plays. Um, where... In Counter-Strike, I, I liken Counter-Strike to what I call a Twitch shooter, where it's a see, acquire, react, where it's the quicker you react and acquire your target and eliminate your target, the better off you're going to do in that game. Halo didn't feel to me like a Twitch shooter. It, it's still fast action, but it was slow enough where using your controller to aim was fine. Um, where uh, if you don't kill your target in the first half second that you see them, they're not already going to have you in their sights. You, you've you got a little finesse within the controls and within the play scheme where you've got a shot. Um, and I think it's just two different approaches to controller mapping, game speed, controller accuracy, etc. that made one translate and the other not. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. That being said, Skull has a great idea. We're going to play UTO4 on uh on your cloud machine. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> I've I've been working on uh the last couple of issues trying to get it benchmarked. Um I ran into an unexpected one today, so I've been trying to do a uh, a shared storage so I only have to install the games once and I can share them on all the different machines. Um, my first thought was to go with iSCSI, but Windows doesn't like multiple connections going to a single iSCSI because it overwrites the permissions every time an iSCSI connects to a new Windows box. Um, and so you're left with either different versions of files or different <laughs> shortcuts and corrupted <laughs> recycle bins and, and all kinds of different weird things. Um, so I went, okay, well, I'll have an iSCSI drive going to the first drive. And now that it's NTFS and an SMB share natively, um, I can share it out to the other machines and I can, you know, have the Steam libraries on there. Well, I don't have six or eight Steam libraries uh, to be able to install on all these machines, to be able to test, you know, six players in Doom unless everyone has their own uh, their own login for it. Um, so I haven't been able to quite figure that one out yet. Um, I do have some good old game uh, DRM free installs that I've got on there. So I've got uh, the original Crisis. I've got... Um, uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance installed. I've got, but 
there's nothing like modern that I would want to benchmark on this system. I, I think yeah. the I think the closest I have is like Witcher Three, and it's like, but Witcher Three is not multiplayer, <laughs> you know. Right. So what are we gonna do on it? Um, so I'm I'm still trying to tweak it. I'm hoping to have something like midday tomorrow that maybe I can have a couple people join on. Um, what I might just do is open up the server and say, hey, if you guys want to jump in and play, you know, Crisis and Kingdom Come and a couple other games, log into the server, play the single player game, and while you guys are playing, I'm gonna run my benchmarks. Um, so maybe not like a multiplayer thing, but maybe like a single player thing. I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out. Yeah, yet. yeah. Oh, that's that's crazy. Will you do a Linux multiplayer setup as well? Uh, no, because the Linux drivers for vGPU do not exist. So this is a Windows only solution running on VMware. So. It's just wild that like not yet anyway. Seems, not yet. It, also, Parsec like, is a Windows-only solution as far as game streaming goes, unless you use Steam Remote, uh, which you could use. Um, but uh, I like passing through the entire desktop and having a desktop experience rather than having Steam big picture and then launch a game and then, oh, I have a problem with the game. Oh, well, guess you have to reboot your machine. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I just remember the uh, at the sort of inception of the project, it was like, you know, this... It's ambitious, but it seems so doable. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and here we are. <laughs> uh, how naive we were. With, uh, with, with what was three and a half years ago, $21,000 in hardware. And it mm. still doesn't work the way I want it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like it's working now. Like I can log into the system and I can play games. Me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure if I ignore the shared storage solution and I gave everyone a 250 gig cache and I just said, hey, you can download 250 gigs worth of games and this is your instance that you can use, I think I'd probably be more successful. And so that's probably what I'm going to roll into tomorrow um, is instead of having one installation of Crisis, I'm going to end up with five or six or eight installations of Crisis or however yeah. many are actually supported. Um, I've also ran into limitations, not on the graphics side of things, but on other side of things from running more than four or five virtual machines at a time. Um, I ran out of RAM on my system today. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. Out of memory. Um, and a couple other things that were, that were very interesting. And so I've got a talking video coming up where I'm going to talk through all that after I get some benchmarks out. I want to get benchmarks out first. And uh, spoiler alert. I'm scheduling a video with Wendell to talk about the technology as a whole and the implementations that we see for it outside of the enterprise. So implementations like I've built here. Um, so he and I are gonna do not a talking heads live show, but a talking head video uh, where we kind of walk through all those different scenarios. So stay tuned, make sure you're subscribed because that'll be a lot of fun. All right. In the words of Jerry McClarkson, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> All right. And last but not least for the news, uh, Lower Decks debuts tomorrow. Uh, there it is. <laughs> uh, so the... Uh, I want to say much anticipated. I'm, I've much anticipated this, this release. Yeah. However, it's been a very polarizing uh, Star Trek, to say the least. Um, before we've even gotten to what it is. Um, 
we know it's going to be more in line of a comedy, a, a com- comedy drama, a dramedy, uh, ha- if you will. Um, kind of in the art style and also the humor style of Rick and Morty. Very rapid face, rapid paced, rapid fire. A um, little bit more gory than we might be uh, used to. Probably some swearing. Um, but like it or not, this is now canon, just like Discovery. <laughs> So we get to see more of it uh, tomorrow. Anything you're particularly looking forward to finding out, Rhett? Um, no, I'm just excited to watch it. I, I have zero expectations. Um, I, I mean, I guess I have the expectation that it's going to deliver the same way that Rick and Morty and sort of uh, Solar Opposites delivers. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, I'm just kind of along for the ride. I don't know what to expect. You know, I, 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 I've been trying to sort of consciously avoid reading too much into it. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up or get the wrong idea, you know, much like how people do with No Man's Sky before that launched. <clears throat> um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited. I mean, I, I've been of the mind for a long time. Not not related to Star Trek, but Star Wars, more Star Wars is better than no Star Wars. And I don't see how that doesn't apply to Star Trek. More Star Trek is better Star Trek. Um, more Star Trek is better than no Star Trek. I mean, we could just rewatch TNG the rest of our lives and, and Deep Space Nine. But, um, you know, it's time for those of us who grew up with these shows to have our turn in the sandbox. And... Um, What's his name? I think it's Mike McMahon. Um, God, I could, I might have butchered that. Yeah, Mike McMahon, um, who is involved with Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites, uh, gets to get to have his turn in the play box. So why not? I support yep. it wholeheartedly. I, I liked Solar Opposites, and I love Rick and Morty. Yep. Um, looks great to me. Well said. Uh... Someone says, are they going to release a spinoff called The Upper Decks? And I said, no, it's called The Upper Deckers. <laughs> oh, God. If you don't like that humor, you're probably not going to like this show, just to let you know. Because <laughs> I've seen a couple of the early trailers, and uh, it's funny. It, it's definitely funny, but it's definitely crude um, in the humor. Much more crude than the Star Trek audience is probably used to. So Yeah. Or at least the traditional but- Star Trek audience. But we got our pure, unadulterated, you know... We got our Star Trek. Utopian. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Now all we need is uh, season two of Star Trek Picard to finally start filming, and uh, maybe we'll get that. Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting is is that, you know, I don't know how long exactly Lower Decks has been in production, um, but one thing we've seen a lot of, especially with like HBO Max and stuff, kind of making moves, is is a is a big uptick in uh, animated uh, IPs, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just because of the state of the world for the last six months, I think yeah. we are going to see more animated stuff. So we're going to see uh, an influx of animated uh, entertainment probably even starting to hit you know network television and primetime yeah. and, and those right. traditional you know uh csi and biggest loser kind of spots yeah. um not to pick on cbs but 
Yeah, no. No. <laughs> um, but, and not to pick on CSI. Maybe a little on Biggest Loser. But... <laughs> But that's the truth. It's, it's going to be it's going to become kind of difficult, costly, and and maybe dangerous to produce those types of shows. Yep. It's going to be less so with animated shows, and I think it's going to be a good thing for the medium uh, because how many there's not really many primetime animated shows that aren't comedies. Wouldn't it right. be interesting to see like a primetime animated show that was a drama or whatever it might be you know we see a lot of this with in, in japan like some of the biggest hits movie wise are animated some of the biggest right. hits drama or romance wise very animated yeah i mean um, you've got you've got movies like spirited away and, and yeah. you know you know classic japanese films like that and uh amazing films um but animated right and and outside of disney and and the the one or two Pixar. dreamworks films uh there's never really been that thing as far as american animation goes well and even then there is a weird thing where american audiences think that animated stuff has to play more to kids right so like i i truly am having a very hard time thinking of the last animated um, um, american animated movie i saw or show that i saw um that really kind of catered towards just adults mm -hmm. um well, I guess show-wise, you know, obviously there's like Rick and Morty and there's things like this, but it's like they mm -hmm. have to like they have to err on the side of like being funny, yeah. Um, which is great. Like you can do a lot more funny things with animation, but as far as like you know, wanting to watch something serious, there's just not a lot of options out there. Right. Um, so I think we might start seeing some of that void filled up, uh, mm -hmm. hopefully in the coming you know year or so. I'm all game for it. You know, I love anime personally. Um, you know, just, I, I remember watching it all the time as, as like a, you know, teenager, uh, just because like it dealt with subject matter that was like felt a little bit more mature than like watching, you know, another episode of freaking right. whatever other well, comparable animated shows there were you can you can think back to the early and, and mid 90s about well maybe you can't but uh uh you know you can go back to that time and you've got like the the x-men animated series yes yeah which wasn't necessarily a funny cartoon it was no. it was a comic book it, it was you know telling a serious story oftentimes um there were occasionally some elements of humor and occasionally some jokes but it was storytelling and drama at it at its heart. Um, you can go to, um, gosh, there was another one as well. Um, I mean, there's a lot of those types uh, of shows. The there was a Batman show as well. I'm trying to remember the exact name of that Batman show. But... I mean, everybody loves look like uh, Kevin Conroy is. You know, to oh, make people... there was gargoyles. Remember gargoyles I... from Disney? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Of course. Um, you know, I mean, Mark Hamill is famous to most people, I feel like, for being the Joker. I, I remember one time talking to somebody, I was like, oh, yeah, Mark Hamill, talking about Luke Skywalker. And they're like, oh, the Joker. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not most people. That might be a stretch. But it's like... He's uh, more popular for being Luke, but he's also popular, just as popular for being the Joker. Right. I mean... Yeah, it, it's just, it, it's kind of wild. I think, like, maybe up until, like, the sequel series Star Wars, like, a lot of pe more people really appreciated his work on 
I don't know. Yeah, whatever. The point being that the Batman animated series has always had a strong viewership. It, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the X-Men uh, series of the 90s was really popular. Right. Um, and, and there was a lot of stuff back then. And, and, and even then, you can kind of push but the But those aired books. Saturday at 10 a.m. They, they were yeah. aired exclusively to kids they were aired as part right. of saturday morning television right and uh and so they weren't necessarily marketed to adults or to you know young adults or older teenagers it was right. this is the stuff your seven-year-old watches right um even though they weren't necessarily you know that wasn't their demographic right you know and that's the weird thing is like you know you you watch an anime and you know, it could be like a contemporary setting, a modern day Japan, all this sort of stuff. And the way that they like organize their scenes and their shots and stuff, it's like you're watching a real film. Like, I, I can't remember what Japanese movie it was that I watched a couple weeks ago. And I was like, this is so weird because they have like, there's so many like kind of stereotypical anime shots, I call them. And like one of them is like a shot of, uh, of like the train crossing lights, like bang bring 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 the train that's getting ready to come and the arms mm-hmm. go down and all this sort of stuff or there's one of like the camera up and like the plane is going with like the uh the uh well your, your cinematography coming. rules still exist within animation your, right. your 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 composition your your storytelling within cinematography those those rules still exist right and those those but, styles still exist there but it's interesting to see the <laughs> shots that i i grew up to sort of categorize as like stereotypically anime Mm-hmm. We're actually like also stereotypically like Japanese film industry, <laughs> right? You know, which is just a weird like to them. There's not much separation. Well, maybe that's a broad generalization, but it seems like that there's not much separation. It's like w- they do it this way in anime, mm-hmm. and if you want to film it that way in real cinema, like you're not going to run into any obstacles. But there are a lot of shots right. that I I never see in American films. You know, right. Um, it's just interesting and then even if you look at america at the american film industry there's no sort of like general vibes or sort of stereotypical or tropish um shots or scenes or angles that you get in an animated movie versus what you would get in a live action movie Mm -hmm. it's like we regard them as two separate things we kind of do i i think um the exception there would be pixar um, where they treat yeah. their animation as if it were a live action movie. Um, Pixar and like an upcoming one, not up and coming, they've been doing great for themselves, but like Leica Studios, you know, yeah, they did yeah. uh, like Kubo and mm-hmm. a couple other things, Coraline. Um, those are both, you know, they're kind of like pushing the envelope of like the media. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Bogan says we need a heavy metal reboot, dude. I just rewatched heavy metal. Like I've been on this weird, like eighties fantasy binge, uh, for like the last few weeks. And like heavy metal was on my list and stayed up late to watch it. And it was just as like, I, I just remember being a kid, like watching that blowing my mind a little bit. Like some of the stories are so good. Not only that, some of the music is so good. Um, it's just like a, a stereotypical, I don't know if you ever seen it, Jeff, but it's a stereotypical, like, 80s fantasy anthology nice movie and and some of the stories are so bad some of them are really good some of them are god awful that's like to the point of being good like i don't know uh 
No, my my daughter's lately has been watching Transformers Rescue Bots, and so I'm uh, nice. I think I'm gonna go on go in and download the uh, the '80s Transformers uh, nice. show for her and uh, get her on some classic literature. There you go, dude. The '80s Transformer movie was legit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All those. Yeah, there's something about that era that we just kind of forgot about, but. All right. Um. Well, I think that does it for the news section of our show. Uh, we've got about 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes left. If anyone has any questions, any points of interest, any talking points, anything you'd like us to hear, uh, please let me know and uh, we'll go. Irradiate uh, technocracy here. It says heavy metal wouldn't happen today. It would get canceled, which I just disagree with i disagree wholeheartedly with have you seen yeah. rick and morty right you know what I, they get away with saying they're fine yeah honestly i would say rick and morty probably pushes the boundary more like there were some like weird scenes in in heavy metal mm-hmm. but uh you know and it was like almost edgy to be edgy but yeah like there was nothing that bad in it <laughs> yeah akira um great great anime movie uh you know they kind of if you ever seen the movie chronicle anybody out there that's kind of like a was supposed to be like a spiritual like akira live action remake yeah this is so uh, literally in the first uh, that's the only scene i can think of is like the first um story in the anthology is like the weird scene with this like taxi driver and this and this woman but like i've mm-hmm. seen worse in in, in crappy movies today like the, I, I don't know I, I, I don't want to go too into detail of like you know the sort of like B movie realm <laughs> but there's some stuff that like really pushes the envelope of like what's socially acceptable by cancel culture today and I think mm-hmm. complaining about like the few um, kind of weird you know, again, like if they made remade heavy metal, like what's the why? Why do they would they even have to do it the same way where they're like, well, women are only objects. <laughs> like right. they did that in the eighties one. Why not like re up it and make something else? Right. You know, like and that was only like a kind of a, a not even a focal point, but like a thing in like a few of the stories. Yeah. Actual remember, live action still happening? I remember, most most cultures only canceled if it's been wrong for the last sixty years. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> we cancel you, what our grandparents should have canceled. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, I, I was watching Akira uh, a couple months ago, like right as everything was kind of like heating up here in the U.S. and. Uh, there's a scene where they're driving through, you know, New Tokyo or whatever the city's called. And it was like, Tokyo 2020 Olympics canceled. And I was like, what? How do they know? Because <laughs> that movie's from the 80s too, I think. Or maybe it's 95 or 96. I could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Simpsons still probably did it first. Right. <laughs> yeah, true. They got an uncanny ability of predicting things. Um. Richard brings up an interesting point, and I don't know how much I want to dive into this, but it could make for an interesting conversation for a couple of minutes. Um, it's depressing to think about all the stuff that could be taken down by cancel culture today. Um, let's put it this way. 
there are a number of social norms that need changing. Um, things that were appropriate in the 1940s were not appropriate in the 1970s, were not appropriate in the 1990s, and, you know, and evolved into the 2000s, 2010, 2020s. Um, social norms change. And while cancer culture, cancel culture gets some things wrong, some. Um, and in fact, they go a little bit too vitriolic in some in some cases. Um, you know, I'll just say going after Dan Harmon for making a joke on Twitter in 2010 offhandedly, and all of a sudden he's a, a, a pedophile or a, a child killer. It's like, oh no, comedian known for offensive comment makes offensive comment on Twitter 10 years ago. Um, you know, things like that, because that came up in the news and that's an item that I've discussed talking about cancel culture before cancel culture even had a name when the show started three years ago. Um, but that's been one that we've talked about. Um, there's a difference between comedy and parody and, um, and then putting something into media as a social norm. The point of comedy is to point out social norms that are so abstract as to be funny. Um, and, and oftentimes comedy gets dark. Comedy is a dark place. Um, it's not supposed to be politically correct. It's not supposed to make you comfortable. It's supposed to make you laugh to kind of prove a point in, in, in a lot of, of, of ways. Um, but, you know, going to, to Akira and, and, uh, and whatnot, you know, and, and Rhett was kind of pointing it out. There's a difference between pointing out as a comedian, um, you know, that girls get more views on YouTube because they're able to show cleavage and I'm not, and then exploiting a woman for, you know, your own personal gain or right. holding or holding a position of power over a woman uh, and holding her position of gain from her. Uh you know, in a in a quid pro quo situation or or whatever else, one of those situations needs to be canceled. The other is biology. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, someone says Rambo sounds pissed. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, Rambo's outside the door whining. Well, um, and and it's an interesting it's an interesting topic, and you know, it's like I'm 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 woefully ill equipped for this conversation, but you know, just ju just to like roll with the punches here, it's like. If a woman wants to hop on YouTube and like make some like money doing that, like more power to her. Like, you know, w w we allow people to make money by exploiting children in, in sweatshops in Bangladesh to sew your underpants, but like we're gonna draw the line at like a woman like ex like wearing a low cut shirt while playing some games. And like, sometimes not even wearing a low cut shirt, literally wearing a shirt that they wear all the time. That but then isn't a bunch exposing of thirsty anybody. boys come on and are like, wow. Right. Yeah, a bunch of thirsty it, boys throw money at her and all of a sudden she is the one that's being inappropriate. It's like, really? Right. Yeah. It, it, you know, obviously that's a different situation than a young woman being pressured into a position on camera by people that have some sort of like 
right. financial power or legal power over them like we see with, say, Weinstein. Right. Um, let's 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 put it this way. Let's put it into a situation that I've dealt with recently. Um, and uh, talking to, I'm just going to say a female YouTuber. I'm not going to mention any names here. But speaking to a female YouTuber, um, she's been accused of wearing inappropriate clothing. And it's like, no, that's what she walks around in. That's how she gets dressed every day. That's how women's clothes their cut. She can't help that she has cleavage every once in a while. It's part of anatomy. It wasn't being exposed. It wasn't inappropriate. It was something that I, you know, you could wear to church. It certainly wasn't offensive. Um, but it's like, oh, you're just wearing that to get views. No, no, I'm not. But then they're also receiving DMs on, hey, would you test this really weird thing? I'll give you $7,000 for a personal video. Which one of those situations need canceled? The, the, the situation of a woman wearing clothing that she bought from whatever department store she happened to shop at that day yeah. that she could wear to any restaurant on any corner of any city and it would be perfectly acceptable, wear it to church, right. wear it to, you know, whatever. Or someone saying, I like the way you talk. I want to see you hand modeling for me in a personal video for $7,000. Which of those situations is inappropriate? Which one gets canceled? Right. So like I said, cancel culture doesn't get it right all the time. So uh, now there are movie tropes that are not acceptable to, to be in as movie tropes. There's the, the ditzy girl who, you know, can't, uh, uh, can't do anything until the, the boy saves up to, or shows up to save the day. Um, happens in every single movie, even movies with strong female characters. Um, go back a couple of, of years to, uh, gosh, what was the, the English spy movie? Um, Kingsman. Kingsman, thank you. Go back to the first Kingsman movie where you had a very strong female lead for the first two acts. And and you had a, a boy who couldn't catch a break and, and kept getting things wrong, okay? And she was always the one who was always better than him throughout the first two acts of the movie. In right. the third act of the movie, um, all of a sudden she's doing this weird thing on a jetpack and becomes the damsel in distress who the boy must save. And the boy goes in, saves the day, kills the bad guy. And then the princess offers him, I'm not going to mention it on this show, but a lewd act for, for breaking her out of this prison cell. That's the third act of the movie. You, you take the first two things of that and you throw them completely away for tropes that should not exist in movies anymore. Um, and... They were kind of done for comedy, but at the same thing, they were done for shock value. And shock value is not cultural awareness. There, there's a line, and that movie crossed them. Yeah. So, and those tropes are in every action movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Black Widow is... is the last Marvel character to get her own movie, and it's after the Avengers series is already done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
And there, there's a lot of little things that are so like, so funny to me. It's like people... We already know how it ends. Now we're going to go look at her in a rom-com with, movie with her sister. Like, yeah. That's, and a, that's Black Widow. And a fat, drunk slob. Right. Um, <laughs> it is kind of funny to me, too, that there, there's so much uproar of, like, things like Natalie Portman taking on Thor's mantle. Like, what is what is the problem with this? Like, yeah, we all love Chris Hemsworth. Sure. But I don't know. It, yeah, it's just bonkers to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thrown by this whole thing that uh, Irradiate uh, Technocracy brought up too. He's like, he says, uh, girls, uh, girls that want to model can't model anymore in today's culture. Grid girls got canceled. I didn't know what he was talking about, so I Googled it. And apparently this was a thing two years ago, by the way, uh, where grid girls, so these are the girls apparently, you know, on the grid of F1 racing, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. they're out there holding flags or whatever or standing by cars and having cameras pointed at them mm-hmm. apparently um some higher ups in in the f1 uh association thought that it was an outdated tradition and got rid of them apparently and, you know there's um there's there's a couple schools of thought here and and i think we'll kind of close on this one um so a couple years ago CES and E3 both outlawed booth babes. That is, scantily clad women there to be scantily clad. Oh, what, a girl can't model anymore? There's a difference between a girl modeling and a girl being put out there in a, you know, very revealing outfit that would not be appropriate for the show floor with a bunch of men wearing suits and, you know, button downs and things like that. Um, and literally being paid to be a sex object in front of their booth to attract other men to that booth. I would put that same parallel to F1 and the flag girls. There was never a a hulky guy walking out, carrying the, you know, the ready for start. Um, And in every single racing game I've ever played in my entire life, up until, you know, the very modern age, um, you know, all the way through early, uh, you know, let's go road rash for Sega Genesis. Uh, who met you at the finish line? It was a girl giving you a kiss on the cheek or, uh, you know, and she was always yeah. wearing the, the red tube top and whatever else. It was 16 bit graphics, but it was very clear what they were going for. Yeah. You go to cruising USA, you go to Daytona, you go to this, you go to that. Even like events that wouldn't necessarily have a flag girl. There was a scantily clad flag girl on the game. Yeah. Um, well, and wasn't there some sort of weird like sexism issue with like the latest Last of Us game? Like people are having trouble with like Ellie's character model or something. You know anything about that? Nah, uh, I shouldn't have brought it up. I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's just crazy like what people go after anymore, and, and then they complain yeah. about cancel culture. Uh, and then my favorite is uh, when people fling around the the. the <laughs> I don't know. Just irradiate is. is He's got me chuckling because he's used like all the riot buzzwords. Um, yeah. And it truly, nothing against you, dude. You've just brought out, you've, you've, you've been the focus of conversation because, uh, yeah. well, because you use all the right buzzwords to gain the attention. But yeah, it's just, it's just interesting what people focus on. And um, yeah, I, I think it says something that there's so much resistance to like changing the way that it's been. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with changing anything. I mean, that's, yeah. get on board with it. It's the way of the world. Right. I mean, you don't necessarily have to agree with it 100% of the time, but right. 
Um, the 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 difference between modeling as a as as a career, and there's nothing wrong with modeling as a career. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Um, and being a booth babe um, is, in one regard, it's your own career. You make the decisions. You can accept the role or not. Um, versus, you know, and having a professional photographer take photos and you're selling that product in those photos. Um, you're selling the the outfit or the, you know, accessory or whatever else. Right. Um, versus being nothing but eye candy to attract someone to a booth. Right. In a situation that that doesn't call for it. Right. And, and exactly. someone says, well... Uh, there's what's wrong with uh, with the hot chick. They know their demographic and they're playing their games. The problem is they're playing that game, and that game can be exploitative. So, <laughs> and I knew, I usually don't venture into topics like this, but it, um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just exploitative in a way, and it, you know, it's like you know, even modeling, like you said before, there's nothing wrong with modeling necessarily, but the whole marketing behind it. It's, it's like the marketing that's sleazy and gross and that right. you're trying to end, you know, because it's like you get a picture of a woman and doing all these things. And then somebody goes in with Photoshop and makes the eyes bigger, makes the face more symmetrical, mm-hmm. parts the thighs, brings pump, out the hips, pump, like pump, pumps up the bus, narrows the, the waistline. Right. Like all you got to do to see how crazy is this go on the subreddit, uh, r slash Instagram reality. Instagram reality. See, yep. And you see where these people like slipped up in their like face tunes and things like that. And that's like the aspect of modeling that like is unhealthy. But the problem is, is like you get the gateway drug type thing. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. D, uh, the D in chat brought up a couple of interesting points, but you know, we could go into this forever, but like, what are two white dudes going to solve? Like not much, yeah. you know, uh, we're the definition of men. sitting here. They're exploiting yeah. men just as well, says a radio te- technocracy. Um, Who owns the power okay. in that situation? <laughs> yeah, please. Let's like right then and there. Like you bring Where, up. Where's the power dynamic? He, and, he that's, brings and that's up, the problem with it. He brings up cancel culture. He brings up third wave feminism. Then he brings up uh, how men have it just as bad. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> it, it's the it's the divine uh, trinity right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't got much more to add to that. I just yep. it makes me laugh. All right, um, it's ten oh seven. I think that's going to do it for this show. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us here on episode one hundred forty four of Talking Heads, your once weekly live show for the latest in beer and tech news every Wednesday night at eight p.m. Pacific time. Uh, join us every single Wednesday. And who's on next week? Steve's on next week. Uh. Subscribe to Craft Computing if you haven't done so already. Follow me on Twitter to keep up with my daily shenanigans. Uh, follow Rhett on Twitter at Rhett is Awesome or at Game Devs Quest for his uh, his podcast and, and other events that he's got going on. Uh, speaking of, do you have anything going on that you'd like to plug before we head out? Personally, um, nothing too much going on. There is a little bit more action over my podcast, Game Devs Quest, which you can find more about at uh, gamedevsquest.com. We don't got too many events. Yeah, yeah, put it down there. Um, We are 
reorganizing the show. We're getting back on uh, the road. People who've been checking it out might notice that there hasn't been an episode uh, in a while. Until recently, there has been more releases. Um, otherwise, come play some uh, D&D with me and my podcast crew over at chaoticamateurs.com. That's all for me. Awesome. All right. And uh, one last bit is uh, if you like the show and you like what you see, consider joining the Patreon. Link is uh, down in the video description as well. Minimum donation of $1. Uh, you can donate as little or as much as you want. Uh, I charge per video uh, and you can set whatever maximum you want. If you only want to donate a dollar, that's totally cool. If you want to donate more, that is definitely uh much appreciated. Uh, but you'll get exclusive access to my Discord server for that donation. Uh, you can join myself, Rhett, John, Steve, the whole crew over on, on our Discord server. Uh, a very active and amazing community over there. Um, pretty much 24 hours a day activity, hundreds of, of chat comments throughout the day, lots of discussions, lots of different rooms. It's not just tech, it's cars, it's beer, it's food, it's uh, buy and sell pages, it's cars it's a lot of other things um very very cool definitely think about joining on it helps me keep the lights on around here and hey you get to talk to me throughout the week um and get some sneak peeks of some projects uh so definitely worth it thank you guys so much uh those who have uh joined on and those who are thinking about doing it other than that i think we'll uh see you next week thanks guys Later on.